And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and servants, service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What happens in your house when somebody knocks over a glass and it shatters? When there's broken glass in the house, it stops everything. Like you, you turn on all the lights you need, you get down on hands and knees and you search and you, you look under stuff, you sweep until you have gotten every last shard you can find. And even after that, some of you are still nervous thinking that there's glass out there that's gonna get you. And why do you do this? You take broken glass so seriously because somebody's going to get hurt if you don't fix it right then and there. The church in Thyatira has broken glass. I see a lot of you smiling out there, which means somebody broke a glass in the house this past week. Um, the church in Thyatira has broken glass. There is a situation involving a false teacher. She called, she's called this woman Jezebel in the text. And her teaching is dangerous. Jesus is warning this church that they need to clean up this mess, get down on all fours and search and, and clean this out, or they're going to get hurt. He doesn't want that for them. Jesus wants these churches to overcome. We see that word overcome and conquer so much in Revelation. That's what he wants for them. And so he wants them to, to clean up this mess. We're going to look at this text in three parts. First, the situation. See what's going on with this false teacher. Uh, second, we're going to look at the warning. You know, what is Jesus' problem with this church? What is he really warning them? And the third, the encouragement. Because look, everything's going to be fine if they just do what Jesus says to do. Like, don't fear. It's all going to be okay. So we'll look at the situation, the warning, and the encouragement. All right, so first, the situation. False teacher in Thyatira. What do we know about this teacher, this Jezebel? Well, verse 20 says a lot. We're, we're actually going to camp out in verse 20 for quite a bit, so get used to this verse. Look at verse 20. This teacher appears to be a woman. I don't think that's consequential in the slightest. I do think it's interesting because, you know, most of the time in the New Testament, it's the men who are the false teachers. Um, 
She calls herself a prophetess. A prophetess, that means she's claiming authority to speak on behalf of God. She's claiming to have like divine revelations from God. Also, the church appears to be listening to her, at least parts of the church. Uh, see, look at it. Whom does Jesus say that she is leading astray in verse 20? Jesus says, my servants. It's Jesus' servants, Jesus' people, Christians, like real Christians that are being led astray by her. And astray into what? Sexual immorality and idolatry. That's why this, uh, this woman is called a Jezebel by Jesus. Jezebel was this queen in the Old Testament who led Israel into sexual immorality and idolatry because she led Israel into worshiping Baal. Now, if you don't know much about Baal and the, the, the ancient Near Eastern mythology, Baal, he was like, kind of like Zeus in, in the Greek mythology. He was their storm god. And so when you went to Baal worship, it's, it's kind of like coming to Resurrection Church, but like only in a couple ways. Uh, you'd come and like you'd sing some hymns like we do. You, you'd do an offering, you know, like we, we, we don't really pass around an offering plate, but like that, that sort of thing happens. But there's a big difference between Baal worship and worship of the Christian God. Because at Baal worship, you would also, you know, if you felt like it that day, offer up your child on an, on an altar, a fiery altar to Baal. Or you might cut yourself with some stones as part of the worship uh, you, you can end the evening uh, with engagements of sexual immorality as a community uh, in Baal worship. Jezebel was a poison to God's people. She was leading them to commit heinous sins, broken glass, idolatry. It was, it was spiritual adultery against God, and it, it was all sorts of horrible effects happened in Israel. And so I think Jesus is calling this lady in Thyatira a Jezebel in order to wake the church up to how serious of a threat this really is, how dangerous this false teacher is. Because many in the church there don't seem bothered by her. And in fact, they seem to really enjoy what she has to say. They find it helpful in that city context to listen to uh, the, this, this Jezebel. So, so Thyatira, uh, if you don't know, I didn't know, nobody knows except scholars. And the scholars say that Thyatira was a merchant city. Uh, Lydia, if you know the story of Lydia in the New Testament, she was a purple merchant. She's from Thyatira. It's like business town, a stock exchange in Thyatira. And part of the, the, the city, uh, the city life, this business life, was pagan deity worship as part of your job and you kind of had to do it because everybody was in a, in a trade guild and part of guild uh, rules was you had to go to various pagan religious ceremonies and take part. So, uh, which meant that if you were a business person, it was part of your job to worship the gods in Thyatira. Now imagine being a Christian a Christian business person in this scenario. And the amount of pressure that would be on you to partake in these religious activities. Um, imagine fearing that you're going to lose your job if you don't go with your boss to the temple and go worship Zeus's sons. Or imagine that like 
your landlord might want to evict you if you don't bring your spouse to the next temple engagement uh, sexual idolatry night. That's the sort of pressures that they were under. So what exactly was this Jezebel teaching that was comforting to these Christians with all these pressures? See, she couldn't have simply been just another pagan prophetess in Thyatira. Uh, she's in the church. So whatever she was teaching must have been a Jesus-flavored teaching. And so from what we can piece together, I think she was teaching them this. Now, let's be clear. The words I'm about to say are the words I think she was teaching, not what I'm actually teaching you, okay? So I think she was teaching them something like this. Deeply spiritual people, people who really know God, understand that you can be a Christian on the inside and whatever else you need to be on the outside. You want Jesus? Sure. He's yours. You know Jesus. He loves your heart. You know, he cares about the heart. He cares about the inside. External things just don't matter. Jesus doesn't care about meat sacrifice to idols. You know, those idols aren't even real, right? Even the Apostle Paul says all things are lawful. God doesn't care if, if, if you sleep with people outside your marriage, you know, because the body's going to be destroyed, right? It's just your inside that matters. If you really know Jesus, if you're, if you're really deep in your faith, that next level spirituality, then, then you understand what you do isn't that important. You know, that's where all the Jews went wrong with their tassels and circumcisions, right? So do what you need to do. Go be a good citizen in Thyatira. Go be a good business person. Go to the temple. Enjoy it. Jesus is with you. Stop stressing. Be at peace. That's what I think she was teaching, based off of the evidence we have in the New Testament. Something like that. Something like that would have been so captivating. It would have sounded so spiritual, maybe even winsome. But, but it's a false representation of Jesus and what he is, who he is, what he teaches. Because Jesus cares about the external reality. He cares about what you do, what I do. He cares about your body. He doesn't just care about your thoughts. He cares about every part of you. And Jesus cares so much that he came to earth to take on a, an external thing, if you will, a body. And for that body to be killed on account of all the ways we've misused our bodies. And then his dead body was raised to life so that our bodies could be redeemed and, and raised to life with him uh, whenever he comes again. We cannot mess this up. His bodies, our bodies, it is crucial to who Jesus is and his gospel. So let us not mess that up. So, so that's the situation. That's what, what seems to be happening in, in Thyatira and, and the, the, the false teaching that was there. So now second, the warning. Jesus warns this church not to tolerate this woman anymore. Uh, and, and look, they can, they can totally recover from this situation if they just listen to Jesus. They're actually a pretty good church. Jesus applauds them. Look at verse 19. They've done well with their works. They're loving. They're faithful. 
the service, people are showing up to, you know, stack chairs after the service, whatever. Perseverance during persecution, they're holding on. And, and it's not that just like they did these things in the past, like they're a historically good church. It's not that. Because pay, pay attention to the very last words of verse 19. Look at this. Jesus says, their latter works exceed the first. They're a church on a spiritual upswing. This is not a story of a slippery slope where a church has declined in love and doctrine until it just fades into obscurity and mingles with, until it's no different from the culture around it. It's, it's not that story. This is a story of a church that is growing in love and adoration of Jesus. They're reading the scriptures. They're fighting against sin. All the while, there's a serious problem going on. You can break glass in, in the best of houses. Now, as a pastor here at Resurrection Church, this gets my attention. Because Resurrection Church, I think, is a healthy church. Hopefully, it's increasing in health. So I want to pay attention to what this passage has to say to us. Full disclosure, I'm not going to stand up here and be like, here's our list of Jezebels we have. Like, like, I don't have that list. I don't see any. Like, I think we're in a good spot. But frankly, we don't need a, a Jezebel in this church in order to apply this passage to us. Because Jesus isn't writing to a Jezebel. He's writing to a church that tolerated one. We need to be very clear about that. Jesus' words here are not to her. She's out of the room. Jezebel's not listening. Jesus is talking to the church that tolerated her. Look, at, look again at verse 20 and let this sink in. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Tolerant. That's like the thing to be in Canada in 2022. Like if you're not tolerant, then you are the worst sort of person there is. Oh, I mean, when you get down in the nitty-gritty uh, nitty of it, like, we really aren't that tolerant of everybody in every view. We like to think we are because it makes us feel like we can sort of transcend cultures. Uh, but nonetheless, I don't think anybody in this room wants to be labeled as intolerant. You know, maybe you're cringing in your seats right now. Or if you're, if you're new here, you're probably thinking, oh, no, like, what sort of church have I walked into? So what's going on with this tolerant thing? Jesus has a problem with this church because they let the Jezebel person keep teaching. You know, maybe the elders at the church had heard mixed things. Some dirty rumors had spread. People were saying, oh yeah, she's like encouraging people to go off to the temple and, and commit sexual adultery there and, and like cultic prostitution. And, and so the elders meet with this woman and that they explain things to her like saying, look, you got to watch how you say stuff. People are misinterpreting you, you know, be, be very careful. You know, don't say no, no, say it like this, you know, correct yourself. And, and so, so she's been warned. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses. She refuses. And so as time continues, 
uh, the elders, they continue to investigate what's going on. They ask around, you know, and they probably hear people at the church saying really nice things about this person. She's getting like mixed reviews, but also a lot of good reviews. Otherwise, she wouldn't be tolerated. People are th saying things like, oh, you know, Je they're calling her Jezebel. Oh, so-and-so, she's so smart. She's so spiritually deep. You know, whenever I talk to her about my problems, she's always got such a good solution for me. She's so winsome. You know, I brought my unbelieving neighbors to church, and they spoke with her, and they had the best conversations. She's really helped me to figure out how I can be a Christian at my job. She's helped me figure out how I could be a Christian with my neighbors. And you know what? I've, I've just realized I've been so focused on the external things, but, you know, that's just not what the gospel's about. She's probably getting—like, there's feedback like that about this woman. Mixed reviews, but still very popular. So the elders keep let her—they keep to let her cheech. Like, she can continue to do whatever she's doing in the church. She's embraced by the community. But Jesus doesn't embrace her. Like, Jesus seems to hate her teaching. It's such a big part of this passage is him just— saying all the bad things that are going to come upon her and those who follow her because of her teaching. See verse 22. He's going to throw her onto a sick bed. All those who follow her teaching are going to be thrown into tribulation. They're going to need to flee her presence or they're going to wind up being judged just like she is. Look at verse 23. Jesus says he's going to strike her children dead. That, that is her devoted disciples, her spiritual children. They're going to share in her fate. And Jesus continues in verse 23 uh, with the result of all this. Jesus, Jesus is going to judge this woman so that all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus wants everybody to know that Jesus is going to clean the house one day. He's going to take care of everything that's broken. He's going to remove everything that's dangerous to us and our souls and our bodies, everything. So what do we do? I, I, I know it sounds a little scary going through some of this stuff, but, but Jesus isn't trying to make his servants second-guess their salvation or anything. But he is pointing them to the importance of teaching. Yeah, this is why we explain the Bible for half an hour on Sundays. This is why we do small group Bible studies where you sit around and, and you talk not just about the scriptures, but you talk about your life. You talk about sin and how you're fighting it and, and your relationship to Jesus and grace. We talk about teaching. We talk about our lifestyle because God wants us to take these things seriously. It's life or death. And so take these things seriously. And look, this particular passage is talking about Jesus not wanting this church to tolerate this woman, to remove her from the church. A day may come when resurrection church might need to remove somebody from its midst. I'm not talking about visitors or people who are new to the faith or, or people who are just sort of struggling right now, but they're trying to, you know, work through something or people with messy lives. No, there might one day be somebody that you love, 
that you admire, that you think is really smart or winsome, that has helped you in some way, but this person refuses to repent of sins or refuses to repent of a teaching that distorts Jesus and his goodness, and you will have to send them away. You will have to tolerate them no more. You'll have to send them away for your sake, even for their sake. That's the warning. You simply can't tolerate everything. So we've talked about the situation. We've talked about the warning. And so thirdly, finally, we're going to talk about the encouragement. So, so for as painful as this whole first section may have been, uh, the, the last verses, verses 24 to 29, it's just pure encouragement from Jesus. Uh, he, he, is, he is wanting them to be happy with this last section. He's encouraging them to hold fast, hold fast to a few things, three things, and everything's going to be okay. One, hold fast to a simple gospel. No more of this secret deep knowledge stuff that Jezebel's teaching, which some people, I think it's really interesting. Do you see what they call it in the text? They call it the deep things of Satan. I just, I love that. Um, she probably was calling her teaching the deep things of God, and somebody's like making fun of it, just showing it what it really is. She's not leading you deep into God. She's leading you deep into Satan. So the point is, like, there's no secret knowledge, no secret breakthrough uh, the, no, no magical mindset you can get in that's going to free you from the struggle of what it is to be a Christian in your situation. Like, if you're a Christian, it, you're going to be out of congruence with culture. You're going to be under pressure. It, it's simple, it's hard, but it's simple. But also there's a simple gospel. Jesus is going to come back and save you. And is. As complicated as life may be, that's the simple fact. So, so hold fast to that simple gospel. Don't, don't, don't expect some deep thing. Um, and, and a part of this simplicity of the gospel is that it's also not merely external. Jesus says to them, I do not lay on you any other burden. Did you, did you see that in the text? Do you see that? I do not lay on you any other burden. What Jesus is saying is, yeah, of course it's, it's simple, but it's, it's also not simply an external thing. This is actually a, a quote from Acts 15. In Acts 15, there's a letter that is sent off to Gentiles who just converted and became Christians. And this letter told them, look, don't worry about circumcision or any Jewish cultural things. You don't need that stuff to, to be Jesus' people, to be saved. Don't, don't carry any burdens like that. Those are extra burdens. All you need to do is stay away from, don't go to the temple anymore. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols, take part in that food, drink, revelry, and don't commit sexual adultery. Just, just keep the basics. No extra burden beyond that. So just believe this simple gospel. Hold fast to a simple gospel that Jesus has rescued you. He's coming again. Uh, if you have this simple gospel, then you have all you need. You, you can live through some tension in this life. Because look, your story's not over. The story doesn't end with you stressing out about your job and how you're going to be a Christian there. The story ends with Jesus coming back and making everything new. 
It's that simple. Two, uh, hold fast to purity in doctrine and life. Uh, look at verse 25. He says, only hold fast to what you have until I come. What do you have? You have the scriptures. You have his word. The pure words of God. The scriptures you have are the thing that keeps you from getting tricked into, into false teaching. Hold fast to them. It's where you find God's doctrine, which is God's his teaching for your life. And, and that teaching will inform how you live, how you, how you do things externally. L look at verse 26. The one who conquers and the one who keeps my works until the end. Works. You know, sometimes Christians find the word works uh, uncomfortable. You know, we're saved by grace, right? Yeah, but you're saved by grace so that you can do good works. Part of the Christian life is, is having a teaching that encourages you to go off and do good works, to pursue God, to pursue holiness and righteousness. If you have a teaching that is making you think, oh, works are for the people who don't get it, well, you've, you've missed it. Hold fast to purity and life and doctrine. Don't give up hope. Purity is hard. I mean, we're doing bad works all the time. I am. But the Lord will make this happen because he cares about that. Let that encourage you as you seek purity in life. Three, and we'll close with this one. Hold fast to the promise of the morning star. Did y'all brush over that when we were reading it early? Hold fast like, like to the morning star. Jesus himself is, is said to give the one who conquers a, a morning star. So, so what is this? What is the star that you're going to get if you hold fast to him? This star was first prophesied in the book of Numbers 24 by Balaam, which I don't know if you remember Ben's sermon from a, a couple weeks ago. It is this uh, pagan shaman who made this prophecy, and, and he was trying to like curse God's people, but he's blessing them. Well, anyway, part of this blessing prophecy he does is he, he sees from a distance, a distance in time, that one day there's going to be a star that rises out of Israel. And the star is going to have a scepter, and he's going to crush God's enemies underfoot. This star is the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, God's king who would rule over the universe. A star who would shine brightly over a manger in Bethlehem, but also shine on the city of Thyatira, where people are struggling to do business as Christians. And ultimately, this star will crush all evil under its feet. Jesus is our star. He is the light of the world who rescues us from darkness, the darkness outside and the darkness inside. And he brings us into the light of God's presence. So, so if you're living your life and you just like don't know how you're going to do it, how you're going to raise your kids, what's, what school are you going to put them in in this day and age? If, if these questions are, are stressing you out, hold fast to the promise of the morning star because one day all these threats you face, they will be crushed beneath your feet. And that is what Jesus has promised you. We don't know how that's going to happen, when that's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Jesus is giving you himself, his reign, and if, if you have him, everything's going to be okay. 
the night's almost over. We've seen the morning star, and he is yours. Hold fast. Let's pray.